Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Corners with Logan and Johnny. I'm Johnny Neinstead here with Logan Parker. Today we're going to have a bit of a different episode and we're going to call this series Painting the Padres. Uh, Logan and I, as you probably know, are Padres fans, grew up in San Diego. So we're going to take an opportunity to just talk about the team we love for an hour here. Uh, Just a casual conversation on the couch watching the game. And uh, you guys should know that this was actually the real inspiration behind this podcast. Logan and I, last school year, man, we were talking on the phone almost every night for a couple hours on end. And, you know, one of those times I just thought, hey, I mean, these are pretty interesting discussions. You know, we're talking stats, we're talking (laughs) trades. And (laughs) I thought, man, we should make a podcast out of this. People would love to listen to this. And uh, yeah, that was that was kind of the the impetus for this whole podcast. So yeah, we're going back to our roots a little bit. And uh, yeah, happy to talk Padres with you, Logan. Always happy to talk podca- or Padres with you, Johnny. And just hoping our team can really turn a, a corner because I do feel like at this point, they're a playoff team. And I, like you said, we have talked about this for years on the phone, what the state of our team is and what it's going to look like in the year 2022. Yet mm-hmm. it's 2022 and now... I don't know if I necessarily envisioned this. I envisioned us to be good in a, in a playoff team, which we are. I kind of was hoping for something a little better. I don't know about you, but I definitely was hoping for something a little bit more productive than what we, we have right now. You know, yeah, it's funny because at the beginning of the year, we both said this. The whole goal was stick around 500, be in the wild card chase until you get Tatis back. And once you get Tatis back, you can turn the corner, hit the burners, get serious. But we had such a good first half. And by first half, I really mean first half of the season, first 80 or so games. We were what? I don't know, 15 games over 500 at that point, solidly in the division mix. You know, at that point, it felt like we were on top of the world, like even without Tatis. And once we got Tatis back, we would really challenge the Dodgers. But definitely took a step back in the weeks before the All-Star break. Um hoping we can turn it around here and definitely always eager to see what Preller's got up his sleeve with the trade deadline, definite needs in the outfield, potentially a catcher definitely could use some bullpen help. Although we have some guys on the IL that should hopefully return. Um, what do you think is our biggest area of need ahead of the deadline? Logan? Biggest area of need is first base. Uh, if we can somehow get Hosmer off the roster, not only does that help us this year, but next year, um, a good training candidate might be the sun for him. I'm not sure what they have to offer us, but I don't need much. If they just take him, that'd be great. Um, but in seriousness, I really do think getting Hosmer off the roster would be the biggest thing we can do. Um, obviously, we need to do more than just that. If Preller can somehow manage to get Hosmer off this roster. Now, obviously, we're in the heat of all these trade rumors, and we know Preller. We know he's going to do something crazy. And I really think this offseason... He's going to go even crazier than we've expected for the sole fact that, sure, he did sign that extension until 2028, but his job is not secure in my mind. I'm not really confident in him as a GM. We've had one winning season under his eight years and tenure. Granted, I understand there's rebuild. There's a whole process with that. Totally understand that. At the same time, I feel like at least three of those years, we should have been in the playoffs. And he's probably one for three on in terms of getting a team to a playoff in years where we expected to make the playoffs. I don't know. I feel like there's high expectations for Preller. I feel like he might be feeling that pressure. I don't know if, if you think the same thing. I don't know if he's on the hot seat per se 
but we definitely can't miss the playoffs. I can tell you that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I wouldn't say he's on the hot, hot seat. It's getting a little warm. I would also somewhat disagree with the fact that we expected to make the playoffs in 2019 just because we were so bad in 17 and 18. Uh, we certainly were expected to get better, and we didn't really, which stunk. But I don't think we were really expected to go to the playoffs. But yeah, obviously last year's collapse was a uh, stain on Preller's legacy. Well, I to interrupt you real quick, but my my whole thought the third year was 2015. Mm, okay, yeah. That, his first year. That's what I meant by third year. 2019, I didn't expect either. But I thought 2015, that's reasonable to say that at least with what the trades he was making and the prospects that he gave up to get all those guys, I don't know. I, I expected, looking back on it, I definitely expected that team to make the playoffs based on the moves he made. You don't make those moves if you're not going for a playoff spot. Well, yeah, it's true that you don't make those moves if you don't have the intention of competing. But at the same time, I actually feel pretty strongly that those weren't his moves. That he was brought in and ownership told him, we want to win now, do what you can to give us a shot. And I think he was, you know, working under the constraints that he had. Um, certainly it didn't turn out very well at all, both in the short term and the fact that we didn't go to the playoffs and in the long term with the pieces we traded away, Trey Turner, chief among them. But I don't think the blame there falls entirely on Preller's shoulders. He certainly made other mistakes that probably do fall more on his shoulders. Uh, but that one, for me, isn't really Preller's. Can't really be held against him. Well, I think that's fair. Definitely think that's fair. So now the goal for Preller, obviously, is to make us championship contending. I don't necessarily think there's a question that we're a playoff team. Again, it would take some sort of collapse to miss the playoffs. His goal has to make us championship contending, and right now we're not. And I don't think that's really debatable. You look at the Dodgers, who have now grown their division lead to more than 10 games against us. We're not on the level the Dodgers are at. We're definitely not on the level the Yankees are at. Our starting pitching will always keep us in games, but even in the playoffs, you have to be able to score more than two runs. You have to be better than two for freaking 40 with runners in scoring position like we've been. There has to be a slug addition. Obviously, we're going to talk about Juan Soto today, but that's just kind of a separate thing in itself. We would probably be trying to get Soto even if we didn't have a slug issue. Mm -hmm. I think power bat, for me, is the most important thing that we need. Like you mentioned, our bullpen's getting reinforcements. Pomerantz is going to start a rehab assignment here in the next couple days. Suarez just did today. you got to assume and hope that Pierce Johnson comes back for the playoff push. That, those are three significant relief arms. Not saying we don't need a relief pitching, because I believe we do. However, I think the most important piece that we have to go out and get is slug. I really look at what the Braves did last year. They went out and they got two guys who just mashed. Soler ended up leading leading off for them, and we saw what he did in the World Series and the playoffs as a whole. We need to have that sort of approach. The tough part is, and, and this makes this trade deadline kind of brutal for us, is there's not too many power bats available. It's really a interesting deadline in terms of that, but you don't have the Jorge Solers or anything like that. Yeah, um, you mentioned there's not too many power bats available, and I totally agree. That is our number one need, which is why I was a little bit surprised when you mentioned first base earlier, and obviously Hosmer is not doing much uh, offensively, especially lately. His his hot start is, is propping up his numbers a little bit, but he has been pretty bad since the start of May. Um, but... 
I got to think the outfield is a little more glaring of a need just because the production there has been so terrible. So you're mentioning power bats and there aren't that many available. MLB.com actually did a story earlier today, uh, nine options for a power bat at the deadline. So let's just take a quick look through those names. We got Josh Bell, a rental bat, talked about him in the trade deadline preview. We mentioned the Padres as a speculative fit, but only if they could get rid of Hosmer, of course, which is going to be very difficult as it has been the last couple of years. He's not even mentioned as a potential fit in this article um, because of the Hosmer obstacle. Um, another first baseman, Christian Walker, the D-backs, even more unlikely because of an interdivision trade there. Trey Mancini of the Orioles, who we didn't get to talk about. He's really a first baseman also, but he can at least put on a glove in the outfield, although he's not great there either. So he would be at least slightly more likely. There's also J.D. Martinez of the Red Sox. We debated yesterday whether the Red Sox would be sellers. Uh, If they are, Martinez would certainly be a name they'd be looking to deal, the rental DH. Uh, Then we also got Patrick Wisdom of the Cubs, although he's not really a fit because he mostly plays third base. And uh, that's just happens to be the place where we have the most offensive production. And then the last couple names are the most interesting for me. We got Ian Happ of the Cubs, David Peralta of the D-backs, and Brandon Drury of the Reds. All three can at least play outfield. Happ is a solid defender in left. Peralta is about average, if not slightly below. And Drury is a little more of an emergency option, but he at least has experience out there. He's not going to be an embarrassment. And all three would be tremendous upgrades, obviously, over the offensive production that we have gotten out of the outfield. Granted, most of that has come from Grisham, who's in center. None of these guys are true center fielders. Hap has the most experience there. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about those names? Yeah, no, I like really only Ian Hap out of that. Drury's gr- cool. It's, it's a cool option. I just don't see us doing that. He really truly fits the mold of a middle infield first base type guy. I don't yeah. see us trading for Drury. Nor do I see us going after Peralta in division, kind of like you mentioned with Walker. The more and more I look at it, and the more and more I think about what our options are, and, and like you said, Ian Happ is considered a power bat by MLB.com. He's got nine home runs this year. I don't know if I call him a power bat. He's um, got 24 doubles, too. Right, and and granted, we need slug. That's, that's a great point. We also need home run pop, though. However, we're going to have to settle this deadline. I don't really see that as being an option. So we look at Hap, right, 8-12 OPS, hitting the ball above averagely hard in baseball. He does a good job of managing the zone. I mean, he's he's an addition. He's better than Grisham. He's a switch hitter, which is awesome. He's not necessarily great in the outfield. The only thing I will say is this. He's not really played much center field, like you said. He's played left field. And so it's tough it's a tough buy because are you going to move Profar out of left field? No, because they're, I mean, they're very similar and they're switch hitting left fielders. So the question becomes, do you trust half and center? I mean, do I trust him? Not with my life, but am I willing to take some diminished defense in favor of 80 points more batting average and 150 points more slug than Grisham? Probably. I agree. I definitely agree. And I think the thing with Hap is he just adds so much more lineup balance. I don't think he plugs into the top four, especially when Tatis comes back. But you put him in that six-hole, five-hole area, um, that just expands our lineup. And and that's really a big issue because, you know, Cronenworth has been great at times, 
Profar has been fairly consistent, though who knows if that'll continue, but it's, you know, we hope it does. Obviously, Machado, when Tatis comes back, you have expectations. But after that, I mean, Alfaro's bounced in and out of the 4-5-6, Voigt 4-5-6, Mazzara 4-5-6. None of those guys are, you know, oh yes, you know, that's a great five hitter to have right there. Ideally, Voigt would be a great five hitter, though he's been hot and cold, not really been what we would hoped. I think half just balances out the lineup. And with that switch hitting ability, it really makes it tough to get matched up against when we get to the playoffs. That's why I like half. The more switch hitting, the better, in my opinion. I 100% agree. Yeah. That's the first rule when you're drafting a team in uh, Battle Royale, MLB The Show. Get the switch hitters. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I've, the more I've thought about this, the more I see Hap as a really solid fit. I mean, of course, he's not going to be nearly as good as Soto, and he's not even going to be as good of a hitter as Contreras, but you've got to, you've got to consider the, the relative upgrade, if you, if you will. Our catchers have been fine this year. You know, they've been probably about average, maybe slightly above average, a little inconsistent, but like, you know, we'll live with them. The outfield has not. It's not been fine. Mazara's doing okay now. He's kind of fallen off a little bit recently. Profar's solid. Grisham's been horrible. Yeah, we're going to get Myers back, but he wasn't doing much better than Grisham is now when he was in the lineup. So the outfield is definitely the weakest link of the team. And if you can supplant the weakest link with, you know, above average, that's better than supplanting average with really good, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I think then here becomes the question with Hap. Are we just going after Hap? We've already been rumored to go after Contreras. Obviously, Hap's been thrown out there as a name. Another Cub that's really intriguing that I know has definitely been talked about. I guarantee you the Potters have called on all three of these guys. You got Hap, Contreras, and then David Robertson out of the pen. Obviously, you're not going to get all three at once. That's just not going to happen. No. But I don't think it's unrealistic to get two out of the three, especially if the second guy is the reliever in Robinson. I kind of see Hap and Contreras package being unlikely. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, what kind of what are your thoughts on those three guys? Because Hap fits the most obvious glaring need. Contreras provides a massive upgrade. But there are issues there because there are rival execs who have made it known that they don't think Contreras is savvy enough to pick up a staff with a half of a year left. So then, okay, are we going to trust him? And then obviously you got Robertson, who is a great addition, in my opinion, to the pen. I don't think any team that's going to a playoff push wouldn't want him. So kind of what are your thoughts on those, those other guys? Yeah, okay. I actually have a few thoughts here. I think the Hap fit is good in that he won't cost too much to acquire, and he's a very solid option for if we don't go all in. Now, if we do go all in, if we trade for, say, Hap and Contreras or something like that, we're already giving up a big package there. Probably Hassel, possibly one of... Merrill, Wood, etc. And if Preller is willing to give up those kinds of names, I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't just go all the way and go in for Soto. If he's not comfortable going all in this year and depleting the farm a lot, then I think he probably goes for a more marginal upgrade like Hap. And I think he's probably going to go a little bit outside the box with relief help. I actually don't see us going for Robertson with a package deal there with Hap. Hmm. In years past, 
you know, we've been connected to Hader and we've been connected to these big names, but we haven't actually swung a trade for a big name reliever. We've kind of always gotten guys who are a little under the radar. 2020, we got a few arms from Seattle, Dan Altavia, um, <laughs> who obviously didn't work out. Austin Adams, who has been up and down for us and is currently hurt. And uh, what was the third guy, Logan? The guy who blew out his knee. Taylor Williams. Taylor Williams, yeah. Yeah, so we got some under-the-radar names then. And then last deadline, we picked up from the Nationals, Daniel Hudson, who was having a good year, but obviously not you know one of the premier names available. Right. So I don't know. That could just be you know two, two data points in a very large data set that don't really mean very much. But I think Preller is either going to take small steps like he did last year, small trades, you know, one here, one there, or he's going to go all in for Soto. I don't really see an in-between where we make a big trade that's not a huge trade, if you see what I mean. No, I do. I do. And I agree with you. If he goes for Soto, then he's going to go make another huge move and he's going to deplete our farm system until it's dead. I also think a big thing with Contreras, the reason I don't want to go after Contreras is not because he's not an upgrade. There's no doubt that he's an upgrade over what we have. I just don't really think that that should be our focus. I kind of would be disappointed if we go trade for Contreras and we give up Alfaro and a prospect. And I know that's what Kevin Acey mentioned we would probably have to do. Disappointed in the way that we got an upgrade? No, disappointed because that just doesn't... That's not going to move the needle, right? It's, yeah, it's not a it's not a big upgrade. Yeah, we already talked about this. Yeah, Alfaro is at, at least an average catcher this year. Right, and I don't know. Even if he regresses, you know, offensively, he calls a great game. You can tell the pitchers like throwing to him. Guys have said they like throwing to Nola. I mean, heck, the Astros have won World Series with terrible catchers. They've looked amazing with terrible catchers. I am okay with having below average offense at the catcher position, which we've not had. We've probably had slightly above average, but I'm okay with having overall below average if we're able to go after other guys. And again, Contreras just doesn't make sense as a DH for us unless we move Hosmer because platooning him and Voigt as a DH and playing them against lefties at first and DH just doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. And I kind of am okay if we don't get Contreras. It's a cool name, but I really don't want him. Honestly, it just doesn't make sense to our to our build. I 100% agree. Yeah. And he's going to be more expensive than Hap. I would rather have Hap. Right. And he's more expensive than Hap. Right. Totally agree. But I do I do like Robertson. I know your point about the relievers, and I won't talk too much about Robertson here, but I, I really do like him. I think he'd be in a phenomenal, phenomenal fit for our bullpen. But we'll have to see, because I know the Mets have been rumored to be heavily, heavily pursuing him and Contreras in a package deal, they're probably more likely to put him in a deal with Contreras than Hap just because it's going to net a different value than what you're going to get for Hap and Robertson. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to the offers that the Cubs get and um, what they're looking for. Want to move on from the Cubs? Yeah, let's move on from the Cubs. (laughs) What are some other trade partners we might be looking at? You know, one that I want to touch on really briefly, um, just kind of as a segue to other teams, I do want to touch on the Pirates. Mm. I think they have a couple guys that we should at least consider. Frontline guys, obviously Brian Reynolds. Is that going to happen? Probably less than 1% chance. And even if it's probably less... I would give that even a less chance than Soto. Yeah, 100%. I don't think they're going to move him. 
at all, and I don't really think they're going to be motivated to move him as much as the Nats are Soto, which is stupid to say, but, you know, the Nats have made mistakes. David Bednar is an obvious, obvious reconnection. I would love David Bednar, no doubt. I think him and Rodgers would pair well. Kind of what your thoughts are on Bednar, because, again, it's a righty-lefty for the eighth and ninth inning right there. Yeah, again, I kind of feel like that's just too, I don't know, too obvious of a name. I think the Pirates will place a huge price on Bednar because he has so much control remaining. I think we can get similar value for a lot cheaper elsewhere. The thing with relievers that's weird is they almost don't really follow the rules when it comes to value in terms of being a rental or not. Now, there are exceptions like Hayter, Chapman, guys that have dominated for years. But relief pitching is so fickle in today's game that... If you're trading for a guy with three or four years of control remaining, you're really only projecting like one or two years of elite production. And then maybe they have an off year the other couple of years. You know, you just can't really guarantee it with guys that aren't, you know, super established names. And then on the flip side, when you're the team that has them, well, you're not going to give them up for less than four years of elite production, you know, because that's what you value them as. So it's it's hard to match up there because the I feel like the team that has the reliever, Bednar in this case, the Pirates, I feel like the Pirates will value Bednar a lot more than other teams. Like if Bednar has another great year next year, I feel like they could set the exact same price. Yeah, no, for sure. Three years of control is not that different from four years of control for a reliever or even two. So yeah, that's my thoughts on that one. Another team that was actually just kind of breaking news, they have jumped ship. The Marlins reportedly listening on (laughs) everyone not named Sandy Alcantara, uh, which we both agree was kind of stupid of them. I certainly wouldn't trade Pablo Lopez. Jazz Chisholm? Yeah, Jazz Chisholm. What are you considering trading him for? Yeah, I don't know about that. But it certainly opens up some other avenues for the Padres, probably most notably being Garrett Cooper. Yeah. Your thoughts on a Cooper deal? No, I'd love Cooper. We've looked at Cooper before. I know the Padres have been rumored to want him in the past. He's a good fit. He's a, again, he's kind of a, he's a right-handed power bat. You know kind of what you're going to get from him. Uh, he was an all-star this year, so that was good for him. I think he'd be a good addition. It just makes another log jam, you know, with Hosmer. That's why moving Hosmer would be great. It just makes a weird hot log jam at that first base DH spot. Sure, I don't think he'd be a bad addition because you would just play Hosmer less. At the same time, are you going to play Cooper and Voigt against righties every time? Ideally, you're getting a lefty power bat and shipping Hosmer out. But I'm not mad if we get Cooper at all. I don't think he's going to necessarily cost one of our top guys at all. Yeah, he was an all-star this year, but he's not a sexy all-star. Same with Hap. I don't think neither of them necessarily are going to require one of our top. I don't see any of them leaving. So for me, I'm okay with Cooper. I don't see a great fit, though. I don't see that one coming to fruition, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I was just more throwing it out there. Um, Yeah, a couple thoughts on what you just said. Yes, it would definitely be ideal to get a lefty bat. That's why half applies, obviously, as a switch hitter, but that's even better than a lefty. And that's also why I thought David Peralta would be a good option. Now, I know interdivision trades, yes, but he's only a rental, so it doesn't really matter. Diamondbacks obviously aren't going anywhere this year. Right. And even, you're not going to like this one very much, but Tyler Naquin yeah. of the Reds 
I mean, he's at least going to provide average production in center field. He can man center field adequately. I know, like, we hope it doesn't actually get to that point where we have to bite the bullet on Grisham and send him down or something. But, you know, I mean, it could be a consideration. It obviously wouldn't take much at all to acquire him. I could see Preller just, you know, flipping up some lower tier prospect, putting Naquin on the roster, and then, you know, just DFAing him if it doesn't work. I would hate that. I honestly would. I would (laughs) 100% with all my heart just continue to run Grisham and Ruiz out in center and hope they provide better production than Naquin. Naquin, any hitting stats that he has, in my opinion, are null and void. He's playing in a band box in Cincinnati. He's probably hit all of his home runs off position players because they've been losing by so much. I don't know. There's just no way in, in my mind. I see the thought process. It's just Tyler Naquin is just not that guy for me. All right, yeah. I mean, I would I would hate it too, honestly. I'm just kind of okay, good. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. It honestly, you know what it feels like? It feels like an Adam Frazier upgrade. Yeah. It feels it like, well, we couldn't get the guy we wanted, so we'll at least get somebody. Right. And I actually I want to talk about Adam Frazier real quick. Not not necessarily him. I've seen it throughout Padres Twitter that Ian Happ is Adam Frazier 2.0. No way. And I think that is absolute that is terrible take. It's a very bad take. And it's a very easy take just because of what happened last year but it's not a similar situation whatsoever okay you know you know who is adam frazier 2.0 you know who is adam frazier 2.0 for me it's andrew benintendi that's who i think is adam frazier 2.0 he's a guy who has struggled in the past now all of a sudden leading the league in batting doesn't have any power but plays a position that we sort of need in the outfield and yeah, I mean, last year, that was the whole attraction with Frazier. It was like, oh, he's, he's got a high average. We don't need that. I mean, no. obviously, it's great if you have high average and slug, but what we need is slug, and he does not have that at all. I think that would be a terrible addition. It would be fine if he keeps producing like he is, but even then, it wouldn't be great. And, of course, you have to consider that regression is pretty likely, given how bad last season was for him. So, yeah, I think I think Benintendi is a definite no-go. Let the Yankees have him. Yeah, no. And, and for the Yankees, it makes sense. Yankees, it makes yeah. sense, because they already got that. So, like, I agree with you 100%. I don't think he's Adam Frazier 2.0. I think Benintendi is a better player. I really do. And I don't see as much regression as I did in Frazier. However, I do agree with you with the fact that he should not become a San Diego Padre I'd be vigorously disappointed and it would be another settled job by Preller because he lost out on Soto half yeah. whoever it is he's going after it's because he lost out on them if he goes after him because he really buys in he's proven again he does not know to me at least that he's how to put together a major league roster because look at the roster he's put together sure he's got Voight and Machado and Tatis are different it's a bunch of singles hitters it really is that's why we're struggling. And if he continues with that mantra, we're not going to make the playoffs. Or I shouldn't say playoffs. We're not going to make any deep run into the playoffs. Yeah. We need to figure out something with Slug. And Ben Attendee's not that guy. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, there's a myth that small ball plays in October that you have to, you can't be a home run hitting team. You can't rely on homers in October. And that is completely been disproven teams that out homer their opponents in the playoffs win 90 percent of their games get out ball oh is that off the top of the wall luke voigt's threatening the 420 sign in detroit here there's your no slug (laughs) yeah home runs play 
home runs play in October. That's, that's all there is to it. You got to have a balanced lineup. And yeah, right now we're, as you said, we're a bunch of singles hitters. Yeah. I think you were mentioning under the radar bullpen additions. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the Royals end up being one you of them. You got that. some names for me? Yeah. I've always looked at Scott Barlow for a long time. I've looked at Scott Barlow. Um, no one knows who he is, obviously. But he's a good pitcher. I like the idea of us trading for him just because, kind of like you're saying, he seems like an under-the-radar guy, but he's been good. I mean, he gets he's 98th percentile in chase rate. 98th. When you look at average X velocity, hard hit rate, he's 90th percentile in both of those, essentially. He spins it very well. He's a predominant breaking ball guy. I would love Scott Barlow. He has a 1.93 ERA this year, 16 saves. I don't know if the Royals are going to want to give him up. Maybe they won't. But at the same time, I don't know. I like Scott Barlow. I've always liked him. If I'm the Royals, you know, we were criticizing the Marlins for listening on everybody. But if I'm the Royals, I am listening on everybody. They're in a wildly different position from the Marlins. The Marlins are hovering around 500 at least or, you know, in the in, within shouting distance. They have pieces. You know, they have pieces to form a core they don't have a core i would say but you know they have alcantara who's obviously great and they have a lot of other promising starters they have chisholm i would not tear it all down if i'm the marlins no but the royals on the other hand yeah they are absolutely languishing in last place in the central you know how bad you have to be to be in last place in the central <laughs> either league but um yeah the the sal perez contract never made sense to me they made some moves to try to turn it around this year None of them panned out. Um, yeah, I don't think they would have any problem giving up Barlow for the right price. And I don't think the right price would be too steep for the Padres. Yeah, the only thing with Barlow is he does have three years of control, including this year. Again, is it be too steep of a price to meet? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. I think there's some interesting bullpen arms we could talk about for hours, though. Like you said, it's so... Just don't know who's going to be available and what prices are and random guys go and end up being huge pieces for bullpens all the time. I don't think exactly. I don't really think there's too many more bullpen guys that we should really focus on unless there's one that you wanted to. But no, I will say last thing yeah, I'll say actually sure. about bullpen arms is what we need to do is make a waiver claim because those <laughs> always pan out for uh, us. We got Brad Hand. Kirby Yates, Nabil. Do we get Nabil off waivers or would he be trade for him? No, Nabil is a minor league contract, though. Minor league free agent? Yeah. That's what we need. We need another one of those guys. But yeah, in all seriousness, that's that's why you don't trade for big-time relievers too much because right. you can find just as good ones for super cheap. That's what the Rays do all the time. Yeah, they do. And if you know what to look for, you shouldn't really fail at that. So... Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I, I'd imagine we do something relief pitching wise, at least one addition, um, and then supplement that with guys coming back from injury. So, I do. I actually have another. Th- oh my oh, gosh, yeah. Alfaro, get over my head. Nice. Yeah, I'm just gonna say real quick on the Padre game. Uh, so Voigt just hit a ball 427 feet that was not a home run because of this lame <laughs> ballpark in Detroit. Um. Anyway, this is just a <laughs> random thought. I've had this thought a couple times. Like, what if you just go out and sign like every minor league reliever that's a free agent at the offseason? And you just like, you have all of them. 
and then everyone has to has to come to you for trades <laughs> it would just be really funny obviously that's never going to happen it was just a funny thought that i entertained once that would be funny it's kind of like monopolizing a market i wonder if that's legal probably is yeah maybe not he's going to trust bust you yeah for real uh, Luke Voigt was just doing push-ups in the Padres dugout to get that extra couple inches to get over the fence. That was a pretty funny scene. <laughs> I think there's two guys that we need to talk about. I think the elephant in the room is Juan Soto. Yeah. I think the other one we need to talk about, Shohei Otani. I don't necessarily understand why the Angels would trade him. Obviously, they suck, and I get that they need... To... There's, there's so much wrong with that team, and having Shohei and Trout and Rendon isn't winning games it's really not but i don't see the, the reason however if he is available is he, if he is available what what would you give up to get shohei otani uh my left arm i don't know anything would he require the same package as soto or less it's got to be the same i mean well okay no actually i don't think it would, i think it would be less but only because teams are going to be super scared of his health, and rightly so. Soto has been incredibly durable. Uh, he's barely missed any games, which you know is easier for him to do because he's a freaking right fielder. He's not a pitcher hitter two way insane guy like Shohei. Right. But yeah, Shohei. He had I think shoulder trouble, and then obviously the TJ. Definitely a lot. He's got a lot of health. Injury, like he's got a lot of injuries in the past, and he's also got a lot of health risk in the future, just because he has a heavier workload than anybody else in baseball. So that's going to limit his value, and for that reason, that's why I don't think he's going to be traded. Well, one of the reasons I don't think he's going to be traded, because again, kind of like what I was saying about the Pirates with Bednar, the Angels are going to put a price tag on him that is what they think they should be paid for two years or a year plus of full health Shohei and other teams are going to be like, yeah, that's great. But you know, he, you can't guarantee that he's actually going to be healthy and we can't offer that much for him. This is all assuming that he's even available in the first place, which I doubt a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So Shohei would be amazing to have. We would love to have him as a starting pitcher. You can't have enough of that, obviously. Given a, a power bat, what we need, lefty, DH, it's phenomenal. And I think he would love being here too. I don't think that would ever be an issue. And I genuinely think he, there's a good chance he'd be a San Diego Padre right now if the DH was a thing when he was signing. Mm -hmm. I just really wonder, like you say, what seriousness level are the Angels at with trading him? There are rumors from verified reporters that have said that the angels are at least listening not that they're going to not that they want to but they're listening so there is some truth to the fact that they've thought about a scenario in which they trade him i don't again i don't see it happening but if we do it's going to be a lot yeah yeah i think that scenario is just somebody overwhelms us with an offer which you just don't see these days no. um whenever you use that terminology it basically means no nowadays, especially nowadays, because teams value their prospects so highly. Totally. Yeah. That's all I have on that. Can we talk about Soto now? Yeah, let's talk Let's talk about Soto. I think there's an important article that we need to address. Jeff Basson today came out with kind of what the Padres Nationals scouts have been looking at in terms of our prospects. 
So we, we know what Soto's going to require. He's going to require four to five top-tier prospects, close to Major League ready for at least three of them. We understand that. Totally fine with meeting that price level, in my opinion. We just have to make sure that we aren't giving up more than what other teams are looking at. I don't want Preller to get in a situation where he gets so desperate that he gives up a ridiculous amount. There are some people who wouldn't care what we gave up. I just don't want to give up a ridiculous amount. But in regards to the Passan article... I mean, honestly... Sorry to interrupt. No, I fine. would be okay giving up a ridiculous amount as long as it's not a ridiculous amount of current talent. I would give up, honestly, whatever the Nationals want in terms of two, three years down the line, guys. Okay. Um, even if it's Wood, even if it's Merrill, I'm comfortable giving that up because we know our window is not going to extend for too much longer. You know, we have to be comfortable with the fact that we're not the Dodgers. We're not going to be... We can't, we can't sustain this forever. Yeah, so to touch on what Jeff Passan had written in his article, he was talking about us and the Cardinals mostly. Obvious names, Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, uh, Robert Hassel III, those three were brought up by him, and those were just kind of the obvious guys. The two that are extremely, extremely interesting in terms of how they are valued by other organizations, which when it comes to trades is the most important, how other clubs value these guys. He said that both Jackson Merrill and James Wood have played themselves into top 25 prospects in the entire sport by multiple evaluators. Both of them are top 25. Now, that doesn't surprise me about Wood because I've heard people say he's going to be better than Hassel prospect ranking-wise coming up in the next year. That one doesn't surprise me. Merrill does. And not because I don't love me some Jackson Merrill. I have invested baseball cards of Jackson Merrill, Bowman Chrome. <laughs> but that does surprise me that they see him as a top 25 guy. I guess I could see it. I for sure could. So that changes things. Because if we have both of them, Robert Hassel III as top 25 guys, and you're looking at Gore, who is a consensus top 25 guy before he graduated in Abrams, you're telling me we have five guys who at one point or another in the next two years or last two years have been evaluated as top 25 specs in baseball? There's no way we have to give up all five of that, right? Yeah, well, I think there's no way that anybody else can claim that. Correct. At least in terms of guys that would be comfortable giving up. So yeah, and therefore, if nobody else can offer that, we don't have to offer that either. We just have to do whatever they're doing plus a little bit. Um, yeah, so kind of back to my earlier point. Yeah, I'm comfortable giving up Wood and Merrill, even if they are uber prospects. Um, you got to remember with prospects. I mean, you know, Corey Spangenberg was the <laughs> second baseman of the future. Manny Margot was the center fielder of the future. They, they don't always pan out. But the guys like Gore and Abrams who've already arrived, they're a lot more valuable. That's why the Nationals want them. I, I would be comfortable giving up Abrams only because we have such good infield depth. We have Tatisa Machado locked up. We have Cronenworth, who's going to be cheap for another few years. Yeah. So I would be comfortable giving up Abrams. Gore makes me hesitate a lot more because we have three-fifths of our rotation going to the open market this winter unless we extend Musgrove. So that's about to be, you know, we, we kind of have taken our pitching for granted a little bit this year that it's just amazing. And we might be thinking that kind of subconsciously about next year as well. But it's going to be a big difference next year. No Clevenger, no Musgrove, no Manaya. So then you're looking at a rotation of Darvish, 
Snell, Gore, question mark, question mark. And if you lose Gore as well, then you're really in big trouble, especially if you have another 30 million on the books in terms of Juan Soto. Um, Just a thought. No, and you have to consider that. And we don't know what Seidler is willing to do financially. Wish we did. This would make this so much more easy. Well, no, because then nobody would tune into our podcast. I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess that's true. When it comes to the financial aspect, though, getting Soto would no doubt put us over the CBT for a second straight year, which would include bigger penalties, such as lost draft picks and international money that gets restricted. So, yeah, it's a really tough, tough spot because you have to consider that. You have to. You can't not. I would say if we didn't go over the CBT last year because we decided that Adam Frazier was the savior, had we not done that, I don't think there would be an issue going over the CBT. But because we did, right, are we going to forge our future for the next couple years to get Soto, also lose draft picks, also lose international money to then resupplement for the future? I think we also have to consider that. You're not just losing your, you know, four of your top, you know, seven guys that you consider young controllable pieces or prospects, you're also not going to be able to resupplement as much as you would be because you're going to have to lose draft picks. You're going to have to lose international signing bonus money. I think it's something that is definitely under consideration. You trust Preller to resupply the farm system because he's done it time and time mm-hmm. again. He's great at scouting. We know that. That's what he's born to do. Putting together a major league roster, kind of a different story. But again, if you handicap, or excuse me, <laughs> if you handcuff him the next couple years by going after Soto, not only are we handcuffed financially with the major league level, we're going to be at the minor league level with who we can go out and get and draft and sign. I just think it's something to consider because there is so much more that goes into this than just putting us over the CBT. It's the fallout of the reasoning behind going into that CBT that really is tough. Yeah. But at the same time, of course, he's Soto. So it's it's tough to say that anything isn't, isn't worth that much. Correct. Last thing I'll say about Nationals' interest. Um, Passan mentioned this as well. They are really interested in one of our big breakout candidates that we signed internationally, um, Jarlin Susana. He's 6'6", 235. He's 18, so he's huge. He's popping 100 miles an hour down in the Arizona Complex League right now. They are apparently extremely high on him too. So given that, if I had to give you this trade, just say yes or no. That's all I want. Yes. CJ Abrams. Well, who knows? Maybe I would say Tatis. C.J. Abrams, Wood, Robert Hassel III, Jackson Merrill, Cecina, Ruiz. Yeah, 100%. I'm pulling the trigger. Okay, so I don't think that gets it done. I really don't. I think the Nationals are going to want one more, and I think they're going to want more at home. Yeah, now you're making me hesitate a lot more because one of those question marks in the rotation could certainly be filled by more at home next year. We know he has the stuff. That's completely right. proven. The great fastball. He has good spin on it too. So even if he loses a few miles an hour going 
from the bullpen to the rotation. He can still miss bats with that pitch. Uh, he's got two breaking balls plus the chuckle <laughs> <laughs> knuckle change. So he's going to do fine in the rotation. I know he didn't have great results in the rotation when we tried him in 2020 there, but you know he was 20 years old, 21 or something at the time. So I think he would do fine in the rotation. The only question is his health. Right. Um, he's had nothing but arm injuries since we signed him. So like in that case, it's almost like, well, maybe he is expendable because even if you do keep him, you can't be confident that you're actually going to get anything out of him. But, of course, at the same time, he has great upside. Phenomenal upside. It's it's really tough because we can't go back and look and say, okay, Ted Williams was traded two years ago, and here's what they got in return for him. <laughs> we can't. So how do yeah. you develop a package that us as fans think is fair? Which is really tough to do because we're not in all these organizations, thought processes and everything. The good I shouldn't say the good thing, but the Nationals have such an advantage because they get to set a market for something we don't have a market for. Right. That's pretty incredible if you're them. So really, at the end of the day, the Nationals are just such in a good position. And unless they just, none of these prospects pan out, whoever they do end up getting from us, Cardinals, Dodgers, Yankees, whoever it may be, they're going to, I mean... I think they're going to make out just fine. And it's tough to say that they're going to make out fine when you lose Soto, but if they're not looking to, if they're not going to be able to extend him, might as well get something, right? Because they're probably not going to extend them. The ownership, unless they get a new ownership in the next year, I don't see him extending there. So it sucks for the Padres because there's no market to base it off of and the Nats get to set it. And if you're a team that wants him, you're probably going to have to give more than what you would want to. I really think that's the case. Well, consider this. So you were saying that we have no no comps for the Soto trade, and that's true. We don't have any direct comps. The closest one, which we mentioned on the uh, trade deadline preview episode, last episode, is Miguel Cabrera in 2007 at the winter meetings. And let me break down this trade really quick. It's obviously we know Florida Marlins sent him and Dontrell Willis to the Tigers. What they got back, you're going to laugh. You remember Cameron Mabin? Oh. Of course. Cameron Mabin, Andrew Miller, mm. and I believe four prospects. I'm looking at them here. I don't know any of their names, uh, so I assume that they are prospects that either never made it to the big leagues or didn't do anything once they were there. So that's just kind of the reminder that prospects don't always pan out. Even even a huge package like this, as it, as it certainly was at the time, Cameron Mabin, what did he have? Like five career war, <laughs> 10 career yeah, war. If that. Uh, and he was, you know, bounced around to plenty of different teams. Deleted tweet Hall of Fame with uh, Randy Dobnak. That was his best moment. Um, Andrew Miller, he was a great reliever for a few years, but he was traded as a starter for sure. And remember, this is in 08. So if you're thinking of Miller. Oh, yeah, Miller was great in 2016. Well, that was way, way, way after the Marlins lost their rights to him. You know, when you're trading for a guy, he has to become good in the next, you know, two, three, four years. So, you know, people balk at giving up the farm, rightfully so, especially with the considerations about the international signing bonus pool, draft bonus pool, draft pick penalties. But all the same, 
there's just nothing like the certainty of an established MLB player. No, you're 110% right on that. And I think that's why so many people are just saying, go get them. And whatever you give up, you give up. And I've, I've gone back and forth and back and forth. And to kind of give my final verdict on what I think we should do, I know we've discussed all kind of pros, cons to this whole thing. And, and I kind of asked what your thoughts are decision-wise at the end of the at the end of this but at the end of the day am i trading soto for a package of four to five of those guys that we've talked about yes i am if we can find a way to make the finances work yes i am doing that it's not my money it's not our money so love seidler love to be compassionate but my gosh it's definitely not our money so who cares if he says do it then do it just wait until the ballot this November. There's going to be a Soto tax on there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which I would gladly help pay if it's if it's reasonable. I will pay for Juan Soto, only if we win a World Series. <laughs> so, what are uh, what are you doing? Yes or no? Trading for Juan Soto? Five prospects, top guys. Yeah, I have, I have talked myself around. Even if you include Morihone in that deal. So what was your, what was your deal? It was going to be Abrams, Morihone, Hassel, Wood, Merrill as well. And the, um, that signee, uh, Harleen Susana. Yeah, I would do it. I would do it. Yeah. I think you have to, none of them are going to pan out to be Soto. So worst case scenario, three of them are perennial all-stars and at that point, you might say we lose the trade. But but if you're yeah. able to keep Gore... Yeah. I, th- I think it does depend on what these guys turn out to be, but it also depends on if we win the World Series. You know, Right, then who cares? I don't think you can possibly consider a trade a loss if you win a World Series. No. There's just no th- nothing like that, especially since it's the first one in franchise history. If you're the Yankees and you have more World Series than you can count, maybe, but... Um, but yeah, no, not for the Padres. No. Winning a World Series is more valuable than anything. Completely agree. So with that said, unless you had any other thoughts on we should be doing that deadline, I think we've pretty much covered all the main guys and all the different avenues the Padres could potentially go down. Yeah, I think that was a, a pretty good uh, succinct summary. Clevenger's looking pretty good in this one. Got a 3 nothing lead. Hopefully we don't blow it to the Tigers. So I think that'll about do it for the first episode of our little spin-off series here, Painting the Padres. Later. Thank you, guys.